Well, I want to uh, say hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us at the Hills this weekend. Some of you are online, and you're faithful to be with us every week, so thank you. And some of you are at our three campuses, North Richland Hills, uh, South Lake, or West Fort Worth. Big shout out to all of you in North Richland Hills and West Fort Worth, because I get to preach at South Lake this weekend, and I'm so excited. And I was excited this weekend to see men from all three of our campuses for our men's conference. I just have to stop for just a second and say a huge thank you to Eric Robinson and his team of volunteers who put together an incredible conference. And it took a lot of help. It took over 100 people sacrificing so that 1,800 men from over 100 churches could get blessed and take that blessing back to their families and to their churches. So it was an amazing conference. And so many of you at every single campus made it possible. And I just want to say thank you. And we needed something really special this weekend because we don't have football. We have one game left next weekend, and then no more football until August. So what are we going to do if we have a sports addiction? Well, we are going to watch college basketball, okay? And even if you don't like college basketball, I have a team that you would enjoy watching play. And they're the Arizona State Wildcats. Here's why. They have at their game something called the Curtain of distraction. It looks like this, and here's how it works. Behind the goal where the visiting team is shooting, these guys stand with a makeshift curtain. And when the opposing team gets ready to shoot a free throw, the curtain opens, and it might be an Elvis impersonator. (laughs) Or it might be uh, a cowboy on a cow. It might be a doctor wanting your physical It might be a clown jumping rope. One time it was even Michael Phelps with all of his medals. Now, you will notice that I had to Photoshop this picture. Let me explain. Because he's in uh, his Speedo with his muscles bulging and his torso ripped and all of his abs showing. And if I had shown the whole picture, I would be answering emails all week. You know I would. Saying, hey, was that you in a Speedo? And I just don't have time for that. But the reason I find it intriguing is because it works. It's more than just some college guys having fun, and it is that. But they've done studies. In the three years before they started the curtain of distraction a couple of years ago, visiting teams would miss 28 to 32%, about 30% of their free throws. Since the curtain of distraction, that number has gone up significantly to 40% of their free throws. It gets in their head. They lose their focus. And that's what distraction does. Distraction keeps us from being able to focus on what really counts. And that's why we've had this series in the month of January. Because I would contend that the struggle for most Christians is not intentional wickedness. It is unintentional wastefulness. It's not that we wake up in the morning and want to do what's evil. As much as we wake up in the morning with no idea of what we're going to do at all. And so we drift into mediocrity. 
See, it really matters that we stay focused on what really matters. In fact, I want to give you a question that I think is a great question to start every day with. Here's the question. What is the very best use of me? I think it would manage our life and our time a lot better if we would ask that question more often. Because if we're not intentional, life will allow us to drift into making really big investments of our time and our energy into causes that count for very little. Uh, You've heard the phrase, the main thing, is to keep the main thing, the main thing. But that doesn't help if you don't want what the main thing is. And that's where the Bible helps. Because we close our count series with, I think, the best count verse of all. And it's so simple. Here's the main thing. Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That nothing counts more than love. There's no better use of you than to love well. In fact, any use of you divorced from love is a waste. Now, I know that's a strong statement, but I didn't say it first. Listen to Paul in one of the best-known chapters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, and this is how it starts. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here's what he's saying. Nothing counts without love. He's saying that you may be very articulate and you can speak so powerfully, but if you do it without love, doesn't count. You may be smart. You may be a theological genius possessing great spiritual knowledge. But if you know without love, doesn't count. Your faith may literally make immovable things move. But if they move for any reason besides love, doesn't count. You can be so philanthropic. You can be known for how much you give to charity. But if you had any other motive but love, it doesn't count. It doesn't even count if you give your body as a sacrifice. What you say, what you know, what you believe, what you give, what you do only counts if it's motivated by love. And I know that sounds extreme because surely it counts for the people that you help. But from the perspective of heaven... No credit is given. Here's how heaven does math. Simple. Anything minus love equals nothing. That's how heaven does math. 
If you live an unloving life, you have lived a wasted life. That's why Paul would say, starting the very next chapter, let love be your highest goal. That is the best use of you. And Paul got it from Jesus. A lawyer came to him one time and said, okay, so there's so much to know. So many rules and commandments. Which one counts most? Jesus didn't say, oh, they're all the same. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what he said. You know what counts? Love God, love people. That's what counts. And not in principle, but in practice. We can talk a good game, but what counts is when love hits the street. It's like the other day I said to my sweet wife, Jamie, honey, I love you so much I would die for you. And she said, you're always saying that, but you never do it. (laughs) What matters and what counts is what we do. Love that counts is a verb. And love as a verb is easiest to see when it's hardest to do. Here's why. Because love counts most when it's most difficult. Now, I have a friend. He's a preacher, a retired preacher. And he told this story. It might have been a preacher story. But he said he was at DFW. Flights had been canceled because of bad weather. There was a long line getting rescheduled. And this guy in front of him was so irate. And he was just chewing out the ticket agent who had nothing to do with his dilemma. She was trying to help him. But he was just vomiting all this anger on her. But he noticed how patient she was, how kind she was. She never returned anger for anger. He couldn't help but think she must be a Christian to do this. So finally the man stomped off and it was my friend's turn. And he said, before he even began, I just have to say something. I, I noticed how that man treated you and how gracious you were in return. What's your secret? And she smiled and she said, it's simple. That man's going to New York. And I just sent his luggage to Mexico City. <laughs> you see, I think if I asked us, how are we doing on the love report card, we'd all give ourselves pretty good grades. But here's the thing. We give ourselves too much credit for a kind of love that doesn't take too much effort. See, most love is really an investment. There's something about you that's lovely. There's something about you that encourages me, that fills me, that rewards me. In other words, (laughs) I love you some because I love me more. And Jesus said that kind of love doesn't count very much. He he put it this way in Luke chapter 6. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus said there's a kind of love out there the basest person's capable of. They're far from God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. But they can love the kind of love that gets them something in return. They can do that. Jesus said that doesn't count. 
Because it's not really loving, it's bargaining. It's, I will love you if. If you're always kind to me. If you stay pretty. If you're successful. If you never hurt me. If you never gain weight. But Jesus says, love that counts isn't based on the return you get on the investment. That love counts most, not when it's if, but when it's even if. Because that's the way that God loves. I want us to take a moment and just ponder the enormity of the way God loves. So last year at the men's conference, John Louis spoke, and I heard him uh, share something that he and a friend made, a list of the people that God loves. They just took A through Z and wrote down, who does God love? And, and I asked if I could borrow it, and I tweaked it some for our context, but just A to Z, just to get a grasp of how enormous God's love. You ready? A. God loves ambulance drivers, accordion players, airline pilots, artists, astronauts, acrobats, the Amish, Anglicans, astrologers, adulterers, atheists, and addicts. God loves babies and Bible readers, Baptists and boy bands, blondes and brunettes, and old women with blue hair. He loves the bullied and the bully. He loves brave people, bossy people, bitter people, and burned out people. God loves Canadians, Cambodians, Cubans, and Mark Cuban. He loves congressmen, crooks, creeps, cheaters, crystal meth junkies. And as hard as it is for me to say this, God even loves cat lovers. God loves dads and Puff Daddy or P. Diddy or whatever name he goes by. God loves deadheads and deadbeats, drag racers and drag queens, disc golfers and disc jockeys, Duke Ellington, the Dukes of Hazard, And God loves Dak Prescott. God loves Elvis impersonators, environmental activists, evolutionists, and Eminem. God loves the faithful and the faithless, the fearful and the fearless. He loves people from Finland and France and people who think Philippines is spelled with an F. God loves good people and grateful people and generous people and greedy people. He loves glamorous and gullible people, grouchy and goofy people. He loves people that collect garden gnomes. God loves homosexuals and people who are homophobic and all the homo sapiens in between. God loves people from India and Indiana, introverted people and intense people. He even loves IRS auditors. God loves late-night talk show hosts named Jimmy, Fallon, or Kimmel. And singers named Justin, Timberlake, or Bieber. God loves Chloe, Courtney, Kim, Kendall, Kylie, and Kanye Kardashian. (laughs) Please don't tell him I said that. God loves people living in Laos and people who feel lousy about themselves. He loves librarians and landscapers and lawyers and moms who pack lunchboxes. God loves ministers, missionaries, Mennonites, and Methodists. He loves people who are malicious, meticulous, mischievous, and mysterious. He loves people who collect marbles and people who've lost their marbles. He loves Madonna and Miley Cyrus. God loves Nick Jonas, Nick Cannon, Nick Saban, Roll Tide, Nick Lachey, Nick Nolte, Nicholas Cage, Nicole Kidman, and Nicki Minaj. God loves obstetricians, orthodontists, optometrists, ophthalmologists, and people who are writing obituaries. He loves preachers, pimps, pornographers, prostitutes, pill poppers, pedophiles, and the police who arrest them. God loves the Queen of England, members of the band Queen, and Queen Latifah. 
God loves the people of Russia and Rwanda. He loves real estate agents and the wonderful people who refilled my Diet Coke and restocked Bluebell. I love them too. He loves the people who live in South Africa, South Dakota, South Carolina, and the south side of Chicago. He loves smokers, strippers, and serial killers. God loves Tom Hanks, Tom Brady, Tom Cruise, Tom Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones. God loves telemarketers and even televangelists. God loves people from the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, and the United States. He loves used car salesmen, umpires, and movie theater ushers. God loves vegetarians in Virginia and vegans in Vietnam and people who love vanilla ice cream. God loves Will Farrell, Will Smith, Will I Am, and William Shatner. He loves waitresses who work at Waffle House and the woman who weighs you at Weight Watchers. God loves x-ray technicians and Catholics who named their son Xavier. That's as creative as I could get with X. God loves you. Y-O-U. God loves tall you and short you, old you and young you, employed you, unemployed you, popular you, outcast you, happy you and sad you, content you and confused you. God so loves you that he sent his son to die for you. And last but not least, God loves Zeke Elliott and people who are preparing for a zombie apocalypse. Can we just give it up for who God loves? Huh? And if you're not clapping right now, it might be because you're thinking, well, now some of those people wouldn't be on my list. Some of them might not be on my list. That's the thing. We'd all have different lists. God doesn't do that. God doesn't love people because of who they are. God loves people because of who he is. His love isn't based in their nature. It's based in his nature, not in their merit, but in his character. That's why we can count on it. So Jesus says there's a love out there that counts. Because it doesn't go out reacting to people, seeing what they give back. But it's a love that goes out reflecting who God is and how he has loved us. And that's why, you see, we don't view love as an investment. In fact, just three verses later, Jesus put it like this. You can love your enemies. You can love the people you do not want to put on the list. You can do that. You can do good to them. And you can lend to them without expecting to be repaid because your love is not an investment. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for He's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You see, love that counts doesn't come with qualifiers. It's actually liberating because you are freed from the burden of deciding who you're going to love. You don't have to spend any time and waste any mental energy deciding if you can love anybody. You know, I make a lot of fun about people that love cats. You know, I'm not a big cat fan. But I'm going I'm to say something nice about cats. Are you ready for this? We need to love as non-discriminatory as cats treat people. Because you think about it. A cat does not hate you because you're liberal or conservative. A cat doesn't hate you because of your ethnicity. A cat doesn't hate you because you're old or young, rich or poor. Cat just hates you because you're a person, okay? Cats just hate everybody equally. And when we start to understand what God's love is like, we, we love like that. It's completely non-discriminatory. It's not based in who the person is. It's based in who God is. And it's not esoteric. 
See, in our minds, we all love like this. In our minds, I don't do bad to anybody. I don't put down anybody. Jesus didn't say don't do bad to them. Jesus said do good to them. It's not esoteric. It's not in principle. It gets down onto the street where people are. Okay, so let me show you this picture. You may not recognize that man, but you've heard of him. His name is Dr. Henry Heimlich. He died last month at a rest home in Cincinnati at the age of 96. He was the maverick thoracic surgeon who came up with what is known as the Heimlich Maneuver, where you come behind someone who's choking, you squeeze them hard with some thrust into their abdomen, they eject what's blocking their passages, and it's credited since its inception in 1974 with saving at least 100,000 lives. But here's the rest of the story. So last May, Dr. Heimlich is at his uh, senior center, He's having lunch, and a woman named Patty Seal sits down with him, a Patty Reese, and, and she starts to choke. And Dr. Heimlich got up, and he used his own maneuver, and a piece of meat with a bone in it came out, and he literally saved her life. It's the first time he had ever used his own maneuver to save somebody. You see, we're really good at talking about what love ought to look like. But Jesus says love that counts is a verb. And one thing that holds us back is, yeah, but if I actually do good to people that is hard to love, uh, they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to respond. And it would not be a good use of me because it would be a waste. Okay, think about this a second. Is it ever a waste to treat people like Jesus did? I want you to think about Jesus and Judas. Was it a waste for Jesus to love him for three years? Was it a waste for Jesus the night before he dies to wash Judas' feet? Was that a poor use of Jesus? I would argue, no, it was not. It's never a waste to love like God loves because you are offering that love to God as an act of worship. And it's giving evidence that the Spirit of God is in control of your life because that kind of love is not natural. That kind of love is supernatural. It's what Paul means in Romans chapter 5 when he says, We know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And what God does is pour his love into our hearts. And his love is so immense and so enormous. And he gives so intentionally, generously. It just kind of overflows and it splashes out onto other people. And nothing Counts more than this. You may remember a story I've told before about a guy named Brandon Moody that went to the church where his uncle was a pastor for their Easter pageant. It was the very end of the pageant, and the character playing Jesus had some ropes he was tied to, and so he gives the great commission, and the ropes start to yank, and Jesus goes up into the uh, air for the ascension. 
But this night, the people behind the stage that had the ropes lost their grip. So Jesus goes up, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts coming back down. And the ascension became the second coming. And they grabbed the rope, and Jesus kind of yanked to a stop about two feet above the floor. And all the characters playing the disciples are just dumbfounded, gaping. And the character that plays Jesus said, oh, one more thing. Love one another. And then he went back into the sky. My dear friends, South Lake, North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, listen to me. The best use of me is to love you. The best use of you is to love the people around you. But here's the problem. We're all nodding our heads. We're all saying, yeah, that's right. And then we drift. We drift into patterns that require the best of us for things that count for so little. And I think the chief reason why is because we're living on empty more than we realize. God has poured this love into our hearts. And so many of us, we don't know what to do with unconditional love. We don't know how to receive it because we've never had it before. So we just take it and we kind of put it in one little compartment and damn it up. And we've got this empty heart. And it, it wants to be filled. So we, we go out giving our best to something or someone that will try to fill that void in our heart. Because if God's love isn't absolute, you will look for a substitute. And we go looking for love in all the wrong places. Because we live in a world that trades for love. And it's so hard for us to grasp the one truth that counts more than any other. That you can always count on God's love. We experience so much conditional love. It's just hard for us to count on any other kind. So you hear me preach and you think in your head, yeah, I know, I know God loves me. But then you think, but God would love me more if, you know, God would love me more if, if I didn't drink as much, and God would love me more if my marriage was still together. God would love me more if I hadn't had an abortion. God would love me more if I was a better dad. God would love me more if I knew more Bible. God would probably love me more if I'd go on a mission trip. Listen to me. You can't start doing anything. You can't stop doing anything. That would make God love you more. The reason His love never fails is because it was never based in your nature. It was always based in His. Listen to me. This is so important. This is so different from how the world works. In the world... Your love 
helps me feel valuable. It creates worth. But God doesn't love you because of your worth. You see, God's love wasn't created by your worth. God's love is what creates your worth. Now, you might need to make some changes. Maybe some things you need to stop doing. Maybe some things you need to start doing. But, but even if you do or don't make those changes, nothing changes about the most important truth, the one that counts more than any other. You can always count on God's love. This is so hard to get because it's spiritual warfare. We are battling a lie, a lie that's sown so deep into us, we don't even realize how deep and how hard it is to expel it. That's why we have to pray. That's why I was just, as I was reading my Bible this week, I was again stunned how many times in the Bible there are prayers for us just to learn this one thing. Like 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord lead your hearts into God's love. It's not like God doesn't already love you, but your heart has a hard time believing it, doesn't it? Or, or in Ephesians chapter 3. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. It's wide enough to include everybody. It's long enough to last every day. It's high enough to cover everything. It's deep enough to be everywhere. And we will always struggle to do what counts most until we begin to count most on the love of God. See, it really matters. What you think really matters. There's a well-known Christian author named Philip Yancey. Who would say he's a bit of a melancholy soul. Books like Disappointment with God are very honest as he wrestles with his struggles with doubt and with disillusionment. And he was on his way to a conference. And there was a five-hour delay at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And there was another woman that was going to the same conference. So they began to talk. And for a long time, Philip Yancey just shared with him his struggles with faith, his struggles with disappointment. And she listened for a long time. And this wise woman asked a very penetrating question. Philip, do you ever just let God love you? It's pretty important, I think. And this brilliant author says <laughs> it brought a light to this gaping hole in my soul for all of my absorption in the Christian faith I had missed the most important message of all the story of Jesus is a story of a celebration of love and some of you need to do the one thing that counts more than anything else. You need to let God love you. 
You need to do what the brother of Jesus said in Jude 21. Just, just keep yourself in God's love. He's not saying that, that you could fall out of God's love. He's saying it's up to you to begin to just live in the constant confidence that God loves you. Stay there. It will bring the best out of you. And you will be able to give the best of you to what really counts. We've got to pray about this. Because this is so hard. So bow your heads, please. Let me pray over you. So God, I'm, I'm just asking right now that the forces of darkness will be expelled and repelled. That truth will permeate. That hearts full of holes will begin to be filled. And we will begin to receive your love, God. We're never going to be able to do what counts most. We're never going to be able to really love people until, Father, it's just the overflow of your love for us and that we stop damming up that love and we stop rejecting. We just start believing, God, and we start receiving. We start getting drenched in your love. Oh, God. I know someone listening to me right now needs this so much. And on the outside, they look so together. But they're barely keeping it together. Because the lie has done so much damage to their soul. So I'm praying this weekend at every campus for healing. For supernatural receiving. For breakthrough. We're counting on it, God. We're counting on it. In Jesus' name, amen.